and it's really about changing the narrative because lots of what we think about is um, why the system is so broken and how we can denounce the system but I think we need to also have a positive mindset thinking what can the future look like and envisioning that future which we want to move towards. Hello and welcome to the Common Ground podcast. In a time of ecological and climate crisis, of rising inequality and social injustice, it can all seem just a little bit overwhelming. We get it. And that's why Common Ground brings you the stories of those driven by passion, who are striving fiercely to make our common home better for all who live here. Each week, we'll hear from a new guest who'll tell us all about the issue that spurred them to take action to help inspire you to create positive and meaningful change in the world. I'm your host, Chess Fernley, geographer, environmentalist and concerned global citizen. Well, hello and welcome to episode nine of the Common Ground podcast. It's so wonderful to have you with me. As many of you know, we're currently experiencing the sixth mass extinction. Specialists estimate that this could be at a loss of around 200 to 2,000 extinctions per year at conservative estimates. My guest this week, the wonderful Bella Lack, knows this all too well. She's an animal conservationist, a writer, a presenter, as well as a youth ambassador for a handful of organisations such as the Born Free Foundation, the Jane Goodall Institute and the RSPCA, just to name a few. These are roles that have seen her cross the world and the TEDx stage. What makes this even more impressive is that she's just 17 years old. Join us as we discuss activism, starting your own environmental campaigns, as well as what it's like to present your very own documentaries. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Bella Lack. Bella, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. No, it's um, an absolute pleasure. I wondered if we could start by giving a sort of a brief introduction in a nutshell about who you are and, and what you've been up to. Uh, yeah, so my name's uh, Bella Lack and I'm a 17-year-old conservationist and environmentalist. Sometimes people use the word activist, um, which I'll tell, maybe we could discuss that a bit later, but um, I tend to uh, steer clear of that word. Um, and so for the past six months, I've been making a documentary called Animal, and it's all about the sixth mass extinction, but it's about solutions and hope. And um so we travelled around to meet the people who are on the front lines who are finding solutions to the sixth mass extinction. And it's really about changing the narrative because lots of what we think about is um, why the system is so broken and how we can denounce the system. But I think we need to also have a positive mindset thinking, what can the future look like and envisioning that future which we want to move towards. You know, I'm, I'm so looking forward to seeing this documentary because I think the the positive narrative is so important and I think a lot of this ties in with you know feelings of eco-anxiety and feeling overwhelmed so I'm so pleased to hear that you know that's that's the, t- the tack that you've chosen. I wonder if we could sort of circle back and maybe you could give us a little bit of an understanding about where this all started for you. What was it that made you think I've got to do something about this? Mm. Well, it's it's funny because I've always been uh, really interested in wildlife and nature, and it was something which I think I was just born with. It was sort of intrinsic. But the moment when I was I became more concerned, um, I watched a video about palm oil and the effects on orangutans. And for a long time, orangutans have been a favourite species of mine. And when I watched that, I was just 
so shocked and so horrified. I was 11 or 12. Um, so I began to campaign about palm oil and about deforestation. And obviously when you begin to learn about deforestation, you learn about extinction. And when you're learning about extinction, you have to think about the climate crisis because it's all so interlinked. So um, yeah, learning about one thing sort of set me down this path until now. And um, I realize there are so many problems under the umbrella of environmentalism so it all began with one video actually but I'd always been passionate about the natural world and the environment. And in terms of thinking about a first step that you took you know what was it that you did and what were you hoping to achieve with it? So the first step was um, campaigning about palm oil and um, I made I made a campaign called in our palm on Twitter. Um, I had a very tiny Twitter platform at the time. And I thought I had this vision that I was sort of going to turn the whole world off palm oil and everyone would um, join my campaign. And when I began to do it, I learned a bit more about palm oil and how the issue is a lot more complex than you think you can't just boycott palm oil because obviously there there's systemic issues. There are farmers caught up in this and um, there's the issue of sustainable palm oil. So it's all so much more complex. Um, so the com campaign actually didn't work, as you can tell, um, but it did set me down the path. And yeah, it set me, it, it made me um, learn a lot more about it. It's a, it's a hugely complex issue. And, you know, I wonder whether, you know, for people who might not be sort of aware of the scale, what is the current situation facing our animal populations? You know, what, what is happening? Um, I think the extinction crisis is almost overlooked when you compare it to the climate crisis because they're equally as severe, they're equally as relevant and critical. But the, the narrative around the climate crisis is huge, which is obviously amazing because it, it needs to be, but we need the narrative around the loss of species and extinction to be just as big. And um, for example, one million species are in danger of extinction. Uh, that came out in a UN report last year, which is you know, a terrifyingly large statistic. And yet it didn't get the same amount of coverage and the same amount of discussion as many of the papers on the climate crisis do. And um, yeah, so we need to think a lot more about the loss of species. And I think the media need to report on it a lot more. And I, I'm sure you saw the UN report, which came out two years ago, which says we have 12 years left to limit catastrophic climate change. And a few months ago, one came out about biodiversity loss saying we have 10 years left to um, reverse catastrophic a catastrophic loss of species and many people even conservationists and in the environmental sector hadn't heard of that just because it wasn't reported on so um yeah as you can see it's it's an issue which is huge and just as relevant but not spoken about as much yeah it's um it is really interesting isn't it how we have sort of certain waves of um you, you know, the narratives being told, for example, 2017, 2018, you know, plastic pollution really came to the forefront. And I think over the sort of the last year or so, we've transitioned into an understanding more about the climate crisis with, you know, the formation of groups like Extinction Rebellion, Greta Thunberg, and also major climatic events like, you know, the, the Australian bushfires. But I think also, you know, sort of at the end of the, the sort of the awareness of the Australian bushfires, I, I don't know if you remember Lewis the koala, but that was sort of an interesting side of it, I thought, because it was sort of the first time that people realised the, the devastating effect that climate change is, is having on biodiversity. 
Oh. I didn't see Lewis the koala, no, but um, no, I did see the really harrowing images. It's funny how um, it's funny how often there are these huge crises, and as humans, we we focus on one individual animal, and that sort of becomes the poster. Like with uh, Cecil the lion, became the poster of trophy, the poster child of trophy hunting, and that's sort of the way as humans we think we we latch onto an individual rather than a population of species and i think that's what we have to do when we're thinking about solving the climate crisis and and the loss of species we really have to make it emotional and engage people emotionally rather than just bombarding them with statistics and scientific papers because it's as much as we want everyone to be informed it's not going to work it has to be people have to be emotionally invested and really con deeply concerned about it and I think using a species as a poster child is really effective. You raise a really really good point there, what, what could and should we be doing in terms of putting this message across? What, what needs to be done? I think there are lots of different ways of messaging and this sort of comes down to what I was speaking about earlier, activism. And um, there's obviously the more conventional activism, which is protest and campaigning, um, which is effective in conveying a message to a certain demographic of people. But then there are also many other forms of activism, which is sort of overlooked, like using films and music, like using more creative ways, which engage with a whole nother demographic of people. And I, um, I think if you make activism too exclusive, if you make it, just for a certain group of very uh, extroverted people, then we're not going to have the scale of the movement we need because we need to make it really inclusive so everyone feels like they have a role to play. Um, so I think in terms of uh, sending a message, you know, there are so many different ways I can't define one way. It's really look at your own life and think about a way that you can incorporate spreading a message in your own life and who are you surrounded by, which methods and which uh, resources do you have available to you? And I really love that idea because it also, you know, draws on the fact that we're all individuals, you know, we all have individual hobbies, we all have, you know, individual focuses in terms of you know what areas of activism interest us i really love that idea of making it so accessible that everybody can do it i i wanted to sort of swing round and discuss a few of your absolutely incredible achievements and i wondered if we could sort of start but just by talking a little bit about the Reserver project and the fund um and and the nature reserve and, and what your aims are with this yeah, so Reserver was set up about uh, seven months ago now. Me and um, an amazing woman called Callie Border set, uh, co-founded Reserver. And the aim is for Reserver to be the first youth-driven funding of nature reserves around the world. But beyond just raising money to protect nature, it's also sort of a space for young people to get together. We all have a communal slack. Um, and it's it's for young people who are just really passionate about nature because lots of the activism and the campaigning is driven by um, politics and sort of a, a hatred of what's happening but this is also a reserve is driven by a love and a passion for the natural world and for the environment um, so it's it's a space for young people to congregate but um, at the moment we're raising money for a reserve in Ecuador in the Chaco rainforest and 98% of that rainforest has been cut down. And it's, it's just as biodiverse as the Amazon, yet no one knows about 
this area. So we have a first reserve, which we're raising money for at the moment. Um, we haven't reached our goal yet, but we're um, much closer. I actually don't know the official figure as of today, because so much has been raised on Facebook, um, but we're much closer. And it's just incredible to see young people coming together and recognising the power they have to make direct change. I agree. It's about, um, you know, providing the opportunity for young people to feel like they can do something about it. No, I'm just, I'm in absolute awe of, of what you're achieving. And then I wonder if you could sort of speak a little bit about um, the film that you've been working on, which I'm incredibly excited to watch. Um, yeah, this, so the film's called Animal. And um, well, I said a little bit earlier, it's about hope and solutions. And uh, I actually don't know how much I'm meant to say, but anyway, I've been telling quite a few people um, because I'm excited <laughs> to watch it too I have no idea they're editing it in Paris so I have no idea what's happening they're all locked away in their um, houses so uh, the the storyline in a way is that me and um, another teenage activist we're traveling to find the solutions to the sixth mass extinction we're meeting people on the front lines whether it's activists or farmers or philosophers or economists and people who we think have the knowledge and the awareness and um uh, Jane Goodall's in the film as well she sort of acts as a mentor at the beginning sending us off on this mission to find the solutions and um yeah it was it was really an incredible journey and I learned a lot and I hope that's conveyed in the film I hope that the people watching will you know not only learn things but also think change is possible and begin to envision a, a new future Absolutely. And, and where, where did this journey take you? Because uh, it was, was it six months of filming? Yeah, we began in September. Um, and then actually, we just finished a few weeks before lockdown. So we were really lucky. Um, and yeah, as we were coming through the airport from our last filming, there were coronavirus signs everywhere. It was quite eerie and strange. Um, so it took us at the beginning, most of the filming was in France and some in the UK and then on the border of uh, France and on the in the Alps um, and then the last few shootings we went to um, meet quite a few people one of them was Afrojar in India who cleaned the most polluted beach in the world he created a movement to clean the most polluted beach called the Sova Beach um, we went to the US and we met um, many people there working on preserving species and we learned about trophic cascades and and biodiversity um and we learned about reintroduction of species which are on the brink of extinction um we went to africa to kenya um, and we learned we met people who locals who were learning to live alongside and coexist with wildlife and actually that was one of the most incredible places because we met these people who you know they're in in a way they're in much less fortunate positions than we are and yet they're still existing alongside these elephants the, these megafauna and in the uk we can barely tolerate foxes or badgers and yet we expect these people to live alongside elephants who can kill them who are raiding their crops and i think we have so much to learn from them you know we often we often think that these countries are behind us in terms of developing they're called developing countries but actually we have a lot of development to do to get to their level of um thinking and and also indigenous people we met indigenous people in uh, costa rica who we learned about coexistence with wildlife once again and their approach to reforestation 
I, I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm so excited because it just sounds like you've covered so much and met so many people. And I think that's what's important, especially is sort of getting the, um, providing a platform for those who, as you say, have the solutions or that the locals, they have the indigenous knowledge um, and sharing their perspectives. Yeah, and there's definitely a problem in the environmental movement. Um, you know, everyone is saying now, but the environmental movement has a very uh, limited demographic of people. And I mean, as, as amazing as Greta's work is, you know, she wasn't the first youth activist. There was uh, seven before who spoke at the UN. Um, I think something like 20 years ago, um, she, I think she, she came from, she was indigenous some, from somewhere in the US. And, you know, many, many indigenous youth activists have been campaigning for a long time. And I don't know why the media haven't latched onto their messages, what they've been trying to say. Um, and the firsthand experience and knowledge that they have. But I think now it is beginning to change and we are seeing a transitioning in transition in who we're listening to and how we're listening to them. Yeah, and I wonder if this sort of touched um, touches upon the idea that you brought up earlier about this sort of this issue with, with activism. I wonder if you could speak a little bit towards that. Yeah, so one, one problem which I, I sort of touched on is that we perceive activists to be very maybe raucous extroverted and it turns lots of people off to the idea of getting involved um, and obviously it shouldn't be that way but we have to change how we define activism to make it more inclusive to make it more accessible to all sorts of people when you become an activist or a campaigner it's quite terrifying because everyone expects your life to be sort of purged of hypocrisy people are always pointing out you're hypocritical because you have a phone or because you know you wear clothes or you I don't know you live in a house there are always things which people find and I think it's important that we remember that to be an activist you don't have to be perfect because if we make the definition of activist someone who's already completely perfect then we're not going to have anyone who can act and that's the only people that's going to benefit is the fossil fuel companies um you know the big destructive powers who don't want this movement to grow so if we really want to benefit the movement then we have to make it more inclusive and make it more accessible yeah no thank you thank you so much for that ella what's your advice for people who want to engage with the issues that we've discussed around biodiversity loss about the sixth mass extinction what can people be doing i think firstly inform yourself um, make sure you know what you're what you're speaking about and um also make sure it's coming from as much a place of anger and concern as and frustration but as well passion and you know, a desire to really change things because you care a lot and make sure you always remember why you're doing it because, you know, there have been times when you're, when you sort of get caught up in what you want, what you want to change and in the activism and you sort of forget what you're fighting for. You forget to go out into nature and appreciate what we do have left. Um, so one of the biggest tips I would give is make sure it's sustainable because you can't sustain fear and anger and concern as well as you can sustain passion it's a lovely thought i wondered if we could sort of do a little quick fire round now if that's okay with you the first one is favorite animal 
that's not very quick sorry orangutan. <laughs> orangutan. <laughs> this is the hardest question but orangutan orangutan uh favorite quotation or motto or mantra that you live by i think jane goodall which is um every day we make a difference but it's up to us what kind of difference we want to make okay a hero of yours oh my gosh there are so many um <laughs> Maybe Rachel Carson, because she wrote Silent Spring and really catalyzed the whole environmental movement. And without her, I don't know where the environmental movement would be or even if it would exist. Fantastic. And this might be a sort of a slightly longer question. Uh, it's about self-care. Is it something that you practice? And if so, what does self-care look like for you? Hmm. Um, actually, until the quarantine, the confinement, I didn't really. And I think... I've been so focused on this year I'm not at school because of a film so all my time was consumed with activism with um, you know campaigning and focusing just on environmental issues and I was so focused on that and suddenly in the quarantine I had to take a step back and really reevaluate. and I don't think what I was doing was sustainable I don't think it's sustainable for anyone let, let alone a young person when you're facing you know these statistics which say which say within 12 years the whole planet's going to be beyond repair and it is quite terrifying so I think um, I've begun to recognize I have to have other things beyond just doing that um, so I don't do I try to do um, yoga and meditation but I sort of get distracted so I'm practicing <laughs> that um, but I do mostly I do exercise I go on long walks in nature um, at, at the moment only once a day in the park but um yeah I go for quite long walks in the park and yeah I read a lot and I make sure to read things other than just things to do with the environment I, I'm trying to read much more uh, fiction at the moment. It's a good idea isn't it because um you know it, it can get overwhelming and it's just nice to have these little things in place that sort of bring you back in balance. Yeah I think as individuals we have to recognize how much power every individual has but also it is a movement and it doesn't really lie on the shoulders of any one person and even Greta who's sort of been leading the climate strikes um, also has to take a step back sometimes because you know it's not fair on her it's a huge injustice for a whole world to be putting these problems on the shoulders of one person especially a teenage girl so I think it, everyone has a great amount of power to make change just sort of bringing things into a conclusion what takeaway would you like people to have from from your journey so far i think we need to uh, as a species we really need to change the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see our place in nature and um, because right now we've actually up until now we've seen ourselves on a pedestal above many other species and I think this virus have sort of, has sort of knocked us off that pedestal. It's made us realise that you know just as much as any other species we're governed by biological rules we can get a virus if we continue to exploit nature and we're not exempt from those biological laws. So I think when we move forward when we come out of quarantine we can't forget this as we did with SARS because SARS was a zoonotic disease it was contracted from animals it came from animals to humans and yet after a few months um china it went back on the bans it had made on trading wildlife and everyone forgot about that and because this virus is so much bigger and 
it's so much more severe. I think it's going to stick in our memories for a lot longer and we have to really use it as a springboard for change. Okay. I've had such a great time talking to you, Bella, honestly. I, so I'm just so grateful for your time. When can we expect to see Animal? I know this might be sort of slightly delayed because of coronavirus, but um, is there a release date planned at all? Yeah, it's autumn this in this year, 2020. Um, obviously, that's dependent on whether people are allowed to gather at the premiere and cinemas, but I think by then it should be okay. Fantastic, perfect. And um, are there any questions that you were expecting me to ask and I haven't asked, or any topics I haven't covered that you wanted to cover? Uh, no. No, that's perfect. You covered everything. Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, uh, follow your journey, um, look out for updates with the film and that kind of thing, what's the best place to do that? Uh, the best place to get in contact is either Twitter or Instagram, and my handle is just Bella Lack. Fantastic. Well, Bella, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Well, what did you think? Episode nine. Bella is just such an inspiration and what Bella's achieved just really goes to show that if you believe in something and you believe in a cause and put your mind to it, then you can achieve anything. And I'm so looking forward to seeing Animal when it comes out this autumn and I'll make sure that I notify you when it when it gets released too. And I'm also really, really excited about this idea that activism can be turned on its head and that it doesn't necessarily just have to be protests and I'm really looking forward to exploring that in my own work and I'll make sure that I share that with you too. So that's it for season one, Spotlight on Youth. But don't worry, we'll be back with a season two and we'll also have an episode 10 where we'll round off, take bits from all of our favourite episodes to really pull out all the key messages and the key takeaways. So until then, keep well and I'll see you soon.